HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Comté Cheese Association. Comté, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at comté-usa.com. That's c-o-m-t-e-usa.com. And welcome to Cutting the Curd. I'm your host, Kara Warren. And some quick things to mention today is Heritage Radio Network, the station we're on, is throwing an online cheese party for Anne Saxelby. She has a new book, which you may have all heard of, The New Rules of Cheese, a freewheeling and informative guide. Um, They're throwing a party for her, and she'll be there. Uh, Plus, anyone who attends the online seminar will get a copy of her book from uh, the Brooklyn bookshop, Books Are Magic. Um, And the event partners behind this are the Vermont Council, 10-Speed Press, and Essex Market. Uh, Cost of the show is $14, and it will take place two days from now, December 16th at 6 p.m. So two days ago, get it, get it through Eventbrite. Um, It's titled The New Rules of Cheese, The New Rules of Cheese Party, pardon me. Um, And I hope you get to it. Uh, (laughs) But meanwhile, today on the show, I have... Tanaya Darlington with me. She is the author, educator, and cheese director for Tria, which is a cheese-centric wine bar in Philadelphia, and there's four locations is what I checked out. Um, And she's also really well known as Madame Fromage. Tanaya, welcome to the show. Kara, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Oh my God, there were so many things for me to say about you. I had to (laughs) to take a deep breath before I jumped into that. Um... (laughs) This is this is so great. Now, is this your first time on cutting the curd? I, I didn't research that. Is but is it or or how many? I think have I've been? chatted with Diane once or twice about different books. Definitely the De Bruyne Brothers House of Cheese we did ah, a show yes. on, and I think Who's in Vinyl, which was um, my last book. We did a did a oh man, as well. I didn't realize so we were behind Who's in Vinyl, which is I so funny. Is yeah, I have a kind of a side life in cocktails. My brother and I uh, are like a writing team around cocktail books together. And it's something that came out of the world of cheese very unexpectedly. So I can tell you about that. Um, but yes, we've done um, three going on four cocktail books together in the last couple of years. And how is that writing with your brother, by the way? Like I realized I was like, okay, they're, they're siblings. They're writing books together. Is that is that a good thing, a bad thing? How does that go? It is pure joy, Kara. <laughs> awesome. That's what I like to hear, especially after Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Exactly. Well, my brother and I grew up cooking together and um, listening to music together. And then when we got into our you know, 20s and 30s, we really loved um, going out for drinks together. Oddly enough, we both have had cocktail, or we both have had columns in newspapers about, I wrote about dive bars for years. My brother wrote about cocktails for years. So we had this world in spirits um, long before I ever got into cheese. And once we realized that we could team up to write about drinks together, it just began to open up all these doors. Honestly, I wrote a, a book with De Bruyne Brothers here in Philadelphia about cheese called The House of Cheese. And it was just such an intense book project for me because I was also working full time. And so when I finished that book, I loved the process, knew I wanted to do another book. And so I reached out to my brother. He lived in Wisconsin at the time. I lived in Philadelphia. And uh, we started you know, dreaming up ideas, honestly, to do a book on cheese and drinks. But it just ended up going down the pathway of drinks only. So, ah, um, okay. Yeah. So that's that's the legend because I've also heard about the cocktail book. Now uh, I invited you on about the movies and cheese book because, um, funny enough, uh, I saw the Instagram post and I just thought that's awesome that there is such a book because I always dreamed there was such a book. And then to find out that you wrote the book, I was like, well, this is great. I can have her on the show. We can talk about movies and cheese and and the escapism that happens from movies and cheese. Um, because I feel like that's what you did with the book, don't you think? Well, I will say it's mostly a book about movies and cocktails, but I made sure there was plenty of cheese in it. I mean, it was pitched as like a drink and dinner book for Turner Classic Movies, um, just so that any listeners that are out there don't think it's solely a, mo- a book about movies and cheese. I wish, but alas, there are <laughs> a lot more drinking scenes than cheese eating scenes. Um, but yeah, I, in fact, I've made a, a drink tonight, uh, which I'll shake here in a minute, um, which goes with the cheese board that's in, in the book. So um, uh, I know that I, we both are Francophiles, so I, I picked uh, something that's got a little bit of Frenchness in it that we can talk about. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, we'll definitely we'll, at, at the latter end, we'll definitely start to talk about that because um, I had a really great time looking through this book. So I counted there were 30 movies that you put into the book, but um, there was mm-hmm. how many movies did you have to watch to pull this together? You know, I th- it was probably close to 200. God, I would literally cook dinner at night with my laptop propped up in the toaster oven, watching old movies, and then I would stop wherever there was a cocktail scene, and my brother and I would watch it together and try to figure out what they were drinking, um, if it wasn't ah. clear. Um, because it really yeah. wasn't a catalog of you know classic films with cocktails, but through brainstorming, we found a lot, and you know, we had written a cocktail book before this where we kept coming across these classic drinks named after Hollywood stars or that were mentioned in movies. So there's like a Mary Pickford cocktail. There's a Douglas Fairbanks cocktail. There's a Blood and Sand named after um, a very early black and white film. And so we started to watch those movies as we were making the drinks. And then that just got us really excited about learning about classic films. So uh, we came up with a list with our editor who works with Turner Classic Movies and had access to the archives. She sent us down all kinds of tunnels. Like, I think there's a cocktail in this film. I think there's a cocktail in that film. And then from there, we winnowed it down to 30 films that were spread across time. So I think the book goes from like the 1930s, early 1930s into the 80s, ending with Moonstruck, shares Moonstruck, and try to create sort of an itinerary through the world of classic films with 
drink recipes and dinner menus to go with it so that people could have this very interactive experience of kind of a date night in with classic films, classic cocktails and a meal. Yeah, and I and I love how um, you explain how to throw a movie party because there's different versions of it, which I didn't even realize. To me, it was just like, here's a drink and there's some excellent food to eat while, you know, right. put it on the coffee table and, and enjoy the movie. But you actually talk about an interlude where you, you've set up like a moment in the movie for people to enjoy yeah. food, which I thought was really cool. <laughs> yeah, and we tried to actually really draw from the scenes in the films, paying attention to what people were eating. So, for example, in the movie Moonstruck, Cher's mother figure, Olivia Olympia Dukakis, makes Toad in the Hole. And so we were like, well, that's a no-brainer. You know, we'll put Toad in the Hole is like the meal that is sort of like breakfast for dinner kind of situation. Um, but we, we drew a lot of the food that were in the films and the cocktails in the films and then recreated them so that you could literally feel like you were living inside a movie. Again, the escapism, especially during this crazy, crazy <laughs> time. I was so stoked to see that. And actually going through the list of 30 films, I thought I had like a pretty good general knowledge of classic films. But then I was like, oh, my God, there's at least 15 other films here that I would like to try at some point um, and oh, try with God. your with your drinks. So, um, oh, good. yeah, so that was like I uh, to the listeners out there, we'll, uh, you know, we'll say where to buy it or how to find this book at some point, because I just it's very cool. Um, and so I guess segueing now, how do you want to explain to the listeners how they should start making these cocktails? Because there was also an introduction on how to start uh, your cocktail. Uh, like I saw something like always have fresh ice, ice or um, a few other tidbits uh, that looked really, really interesting that I didn't I didn't know. Like the one I didn't know was. Um, to make your uh, glassware warm, you fill it with boiling water. Never would have thought of that. Yeah, for a hot toddy. Yeah, yeah. I think the beauty of a cocktail is sort of in its perfection. So, like, for example, tonight I got out a coupe glass from the freezer. I keep, you know, a stack of coupe glasses in the freezer door. So if I want to make a cold martini, or in this case I'm going to make a, a bourbon drink, um, you're pouring it into ice-cold glassware so that it stays, you know, cold for as long as possible because uh, a great cocktail you know should be perfectly chilled um you know who wants to drink a, a lukewarm martini or a lukewarm manhattan so we do offer totally. a lot of tips like you know store your glassware in the freezer um you know put a few rocks glasses in there put a few coupe glasses in there use fresh ice ice does get stale it can take on the smell of like you know a bag of shrimp sitting next to it so um you know making ice weekly with filtered water and i just use a brita pitcher for that um but making fresh ice um just a few of those little ba basic things really help you achieve like a beautiful craft craft cocktail um, mm -hmm. that can be really similar to having a perfect drink when you go out. So those were just a few tips we offered along with, you know, use your jigger to measure out ingredients. A, a beautiful cocktail is a balanced cocktail. You know, um, you know, tonight, the one that I love um, that yeah. I figured out only as an adult, because I feel like cocktail making is something like once you're past, you're like, heavy drinking days, and you're like starting to make them for yourself. Um, <laughs> I realized that stirring uh, the cocktail for 20 to 30 seconds, or I even go past the 30 second mark sometimes. Yeah. It's just so nice to get it super chilled and blend the ice water into the uh, drink. It really totally changes the drink, I believe. I mean, Completely. that's just my opinion, Completely. but 
uh, to oh. the listeners out there, do it. Stir your drink for 30 yeah. seconds with ice. It, it's yeah, a revelation. Yeah, spirituous <laughs> drinks you stir, like your Manhattans and martinis. If there's, you know, lemon or egg or dairy, you do shake those drinks because you want them frothy. But your stirred drinks, you do stir until, I would say, until your mixing glass is so cold, you have to remove your fingers because you're going to get frostbite. Because a perfectly <laughs> stirred cocktail gives you a dilution ratio of around 20%. So your drink is actually 20% ice cold water and that opens up the spirits especially in your manhattans and martinis and just you know rounds up the edges and makes them beautiful so the difference between like a martini made too fast and one that's been perfectly stirred for that 20 percent ice melt um is like a fun party trick that we sometimes share yes it tastes like two very different drinks yeah. Yes. No, it, it's it's life altering, uh, in my opinion. It's like exactly. eating great cheese. It's life altering. Yeah. All of it. <laughs> All it's, of it is, yeah, it's kind of like is better. Rela- you know, relaxing your cheese or being able to tell when a camembert is ripe. You know, just knowing a few of these little insider tips allows you to enjoy something, you know, twice as much. No, I know. It's it's I, it's perfect. Um, so, okay. Curious question. What is in your fridge right now in terms of cheese? Um, is there any fun, fun things hanging out oh, in your fridge so at the moment? It's oh, yeah. It's, it is the season. So, yes. <laughs> what do you got? Season. I just got a bunch of Austrian cheeses in the mail that I'm about to crack into. One is Alp Blossom, which I know and love. And I'm sure you know Alp Blossom, too. Yeah. Um, you know, which is wrapped in all of these beautiful kind of herbs and flower petals. And then there were two new Austrian cheeses I hadn't seen, one in wrapped in hay and one um, with herbs. And then, oh my gosh, I've got four different ages of Comte down there, like little nubbins left from a project that I was working on. It was another cocktail project. Um, Wow. I've got about four local cheeses, including a new one from my friend sue miller that's kind of looks like a holiday snowball but it's got za'atar spices on top Ooh, um, i've got cool. a hunk a little piece of moliterno left you know i've always got things that i'm kind of like just nibbling around the edges of um i have several wisconsin cheeses because i just did some wisconsin cheese videos so, for, so my question for to you now <laughs> as, a, as a funny follow-up now <laughs> how is, much cheese do i send you when people send you packages to your to your door is it is it shipped to Madame Fromage or to Naya Darlington? It is. It is, is Madame Fromage. Okay, of course it is. That makes more sense in the cheese I mean, community. Why not? Of course, you gotta live it. You gotta live it with gusto, Kara. Of course, of course. Um, so my my follow up to you then is: When did you become Madame Fromage? I mean, I, I don't think I actually know the uh, the um, the story, the beginnings of uh, oh, Madame sure. Fromage. You know, I started this blog in 2009 on Blogger. Um, I had just moved to Philadelphia fairly recently, and I had been a newspaper food reporter before that in, in the Midwest. And I came to Philly. I literally didn't know one person here, Carrie. I just, like, drove across country with, like, books and plants and an old Volvo. And my first venture into the city itself was to De Bruno Brothers, our local cheese shop. Uh, in the Italian market neighborhood of Philadelphia. I went in, saw 300 cheeses at the counter and was just completely blown away. I'd grown up in you know, Wisconsin and the Midwest where I, we had a lot of cheese, but it was often a lot of the same same things. We would enjoy you know, provolone and curds and Pleasant Ridge Reserve when it first got started. Um, but it wasn't until the Brunner Brothers that I realized how many cheeses there were in the world. And I decided to make it a personal project to eat my way through the entire case 
oh because God. I'm a writer by training and I actually teach writing for a living, I, I decided I would I would chronicle the process on a blog because blogging was something a lot of my students were interested in. And I was curious to explore the format. I honestly never thought I would get through all of the De Bruyne Brothers case. I never thought I would blog for more than six months. But it turned out to be so rewarding and it connected me to so many people and I began learning so much about cheese and I just fell in love with it. So it's been now, you know, 11 years and uh, I, I still am discovering new cheeses and just enjoying the process as much as ever. It's a blink. It's gone by so fast. Um, it has gone by so fast. And I don't blog the way I used to. Now I do more on Instagram. Um, but I still love blogging as a format because it's a great way to organize your notes. And I'm always telling mongers and, and students um, who are like passionate about food, like if you do start a blog, even though maybe it's not as cool as it once was, you can then Google yourself and like the name of a cheese and you could re remember what you ate it with, what day it was, you know, what your tasting notes were. So to me, it's like my filing cabinet of most of what I've eaten. Awesome. Um, and so I wanted to ask, because you are doing more Instagram now, do you, and I don't, I don't know if I consider you this, but do you consider yourself um, an influencer now on Instagram? Because you're one of those top cheese people that I, I see on Instagram at this point. I don't think of myself as an influencer, although I feel like that is what, you know, I often hear the term get thrown around. I really see myself more as an advocate um, for any person that wants to explore cheese. You know, I consider myself like a super enthusiast, really, although now I work in the industry, I, you know, I, I didn't always. Um, but I, I like the word advocate more because I feel like I'm really on I the think side it's of the thing that I'm passionate about. <laughs> I yeah, really care yeah. about farmers first, which is why I really like love cheese to begin with. You know, I grew up in a farming community in Wisconsin and I, in Iowa, and I just, I feel so passionate about, um, dairy farming and pastures and land stewardship and things like that. So that's why I love cheese. It's like the people and the land and the animals. Um, I, I don't see myself as an influencer because I often feel like influencers get, sh you know, shunted to the side as folks who are kind of willing to promote anything and everything for a price. And um, I mean, which is, you know, not a kind thing to say, but I feel like oh, sometimes that is a lot of what I see out there. Mm -hmm. um, so... I always want to be a little bit careful because I feel like I only really write about things that I'm passionate about. And Well, um, I thought that's why I would clear, clear yeah. the air, excuse me, because I, yeah. I do think of you as an advocate, not an influencer, but I know that you have an online presence. So I was curious how you, you were thinking of it as that. So that that does help a lot. Yeah, I feel like from within the world of social media, those of us who are writers or who work with photography, we've never been asked to create a name for ourselves. And so the industry marketing has given us the name influencers um, and uses the terms content and assets and all of these things, which to my mind yeah. really takes it away from, for me, the passion, the artistry, the joy, the connection, like uh, those are, that's what I love about social media is like connecting with cheese makers and cheese mongers around the world, peering into people's cow barns, their cheese caves, their cheese shops. Um, to me, it's a great like just curiosity box and in influencing to me is not interesting. Curiosity is. That's a great point. Okay. So I think right now, Tanaya, because you made such a great point, I want to take a quick break. Um, listeners, you're listening to Cutting the Curd with Kara Warren and Tanaya Darlington is on the show and we'll be right back. 
This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Conte Cheese Association. Conte Cheese Association represents the Conte PDO, Conte Protected Designation of Origin in the USA. Conte is a raw milk cooked pressed cheese from the Jura Mountains of France. There, every day, 2,500 family farms deliver milk to over 150 local cheesemaking facilities, or fruitiers. This milk must be transformed into Conté within 24 hours of milking to preserve the lactic microflora in the milk, ensuring the cheese's aromatic potential. About 105 gallons of milk are required to craft a single wheel of Conté. Conté takes time to acquire its flavors in the affinage cellars. After eight months of aging by dedicated affineurs on average, each wheel of Conté is graded and shipped to market. No wheel of Conté is the same. Its flavors speak to the pastures where the cows grazed, the season in which it was made, the particular craftsmanship of the cheesemaker, and the time spent in the aging cellar. Therefore, every wheel of Conté is unique. Learn more about Conté, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at Conté-USA.com. That's C-O-M-T-E hyphen U-S-A dot com. All right, everyone. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd. I'm your host, Kara Warren, and I'm returning with Tanaya Darlington. Uh, actually, would like to bring up now the awesome pairing that she worked on because um, we're both sort of Francophiles. And uh, Tanaya, what what is the movie and what is the pairing? Sure, Kara. So there is a movie called An American in Paris. It's a, uh, a musical from 1951. And when we were writing about this film for Movie Night Menus, I came across a drink of the same name. So I don't know exactly how the cocktail is connected to the film, but it's a drink that contains bourbon, so that's the American part, the American in Paris, creme de cassis, which is made from black horns, dry vermouth, and I use Dolan, dry vermouth from France, and lemon juice. It's kind of like a brambly Manhattan is how I describe it. So, you know, again, bourbon, something a little bit on the sweet side, vermouth, and you shake this drink, put a lemon twist on the side, and it is fabulous with cheese, especially wash rind cheeses. And I know, Kara, that you and I share a love for wash rinds. <laughs> so whenever I'm doing a board with a lot of cheeses on it, and I might have something funky, and I might have a blue on there, uh, I like to make this cocktail. And I feel like it's a drink that a lot of people don't know about. And the movie, An American in Paris, features Gene Kelly who lives above a French bakery. I'm trying to remember if there's actually a cheese eating scene in the in the film. I think so. But in Movie Night Menus we pair an American and Paris cocktail with a beautiful cheese board and there's a full page spread of it. And the cheese board includes, you know, Valence, Delice de Begonia, I've got an Epoise on there of course, Comte and Roquefort. And this cocktail and I actually I don't know if you can hear it, but I have it here in a shaker. Oh, there it is. <laughs> it is a live action show, folks. Here right. we go. And uh, it's just a beautiful drink. It, to me, the creme de cassis, and there's only a half ounce of it in the drink, but it sort of functions like having um, blackberry or currant jam, you know, next to a cheese. So there's this automatic jammy fruitiness 
alongside the earthy notes in the bourbon. And this is just a drink that is wonderful. It's it's also great with like cloth bound cheddars and you know, you could even, you know, put out a palm of vac. I know that's a favorite of yours. Um it's yeah, just yeah, a of course. really, really <laughs> fun drink. Plus it's got a little lemon, so it has some acidity, so it pairs, you know, well with like things like goat cheese or an aged cheese. It's it's an interesting the creme de cassis is something I have sort of like taken baby steps towards mm. but i need to be stronger about it because i tasted it on its own and i was just like what is this you know it's 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 an intense flavor but i see as a half ounce to a drink that makes a lot of sense um it goes a long way basically um and and then the other you know there's another funny thing tonight that i have never tried in the creme the creme world of the french accents uh, basically <laughs> is a uh, creme de menthe Oh, like a sure. Mint? Oh, yeah. Girl, I love that stuff. You make a stinger, which is bourbon and creme de menthe. <laughs> right, which was for, I like that you paired that with um, the sting. Yeah, it's the the old movie, um, Actually, the classic. It's, yeah, it's with Philadelphia Story. I, oh, Philadelphia Story. Stinger, Excuse me, yes. I believe, in that film. Uh, it's the classic um Catherine Hepburn movie and it actually takes place in here in Philadelphia. So we paired a stinger with a kind of an up- uh, up-level cheesesteak using a truffled brie instead of cheese whiz. Which I thought was ballsy. <laughs> I was like, she is she is living in Philadelphia. She made an upscale cheesesteak uh-huh. with truffled brie. I was like, I will try this because I, I am also a big fan of cheesesteaks. Oh, it's fantastic so. with a lot of onions and you use a really good truffle cheese on there. At the time, I think we used Marin French truffle for that, uh, for that shoot. And then you have a stinger, which is, you know, again, it's like whiskey and mint. It's so cleansing after you eat a cheesesteak. A cheesesteak always just makes me feel like... I need to have a breath mint. I need to use some mouthwash. <laughs> it's so like oily and beefy and intense. And um, so, I mean, I love it, but it's just like, oof. And I think then. the way you know you got a really good Philly cheesesteak <laughs> is if you get it in a paper bag and it's yeah. absolutely see-through by the time you sit down with it, it's a proper cheesesteak. Exactly. But, I mean, I could be wrong. I mean, no, yeah, okay, just, Philadelphia story. <laughs> yeah, which I, I think is really funny that you have, like, the Philadelphia story, which is a high-end family, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. trying to escape, uh, like, this, um, this the uh, was it, the paparazzi, basically. Right. Um, and you throw in the upscale cheesesteak. I thought that was pretty brilliant. I feel um, like we had to highbrow it up for the main line, um, but it still needed to have a cheesesteak, you know, if it was going to be a Philadelphia story movie, so... To- totally. And then I like how you handled Rocky. I mean, I want to keep it all oh, Philadelphia all the for way. Sure. I love that you put uh, for Rocky, it was a shot of whiskey and a PBR. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, classically known as a Boilermaker, but here it's like really this Philly special. Almost anywhere you can go, where you go, you know, um, you can get a beer and a shot. And usually it's a really good deal. But then you also paired it with the Italian Stallion uh hoagie because you're in philadelphia you have to call it a hoagie it's not a hero it's not a sandwich (laughs) it's not a bodega deli sandwich but it's a hoagie this is really Uh, a cheese sandwich town a cheese sandwich mecca as you can tell well it has to have provolone on it Mm. of course and then um all the other fixings which uh you know is i guess was it anyway there's like a whole italian charcuterie board on the sandwich yes which is what i love to eat i'm sorry that's why i kind of also brought it up i just wanted to point out to everyone that i love uh great italian style sandwiches <laughs> that was my other side point <laughs> yes yes absolutely um and then i wanted to bring up james bond you have dr no on your list mm-hmm. um 
you threw on the Vesper martini. Can you explain to the the common folk and the listeners here uh, what that is? Well, you know, James Bond would always ask for a martini shaken, not stirred. And supposedly Ian Fleming wanted to do that to make him be, you know, cosmopolitan, but not totally cosmopolitan. Because if you know anything about a martini, it's like you want it stirred, just like I described earlier in the show. Like you want a crystal clear martini with no ice chips. If you shake it, it's going to be cloudy and it's probably going to have little chips of ice that will get in your teeth. So, uh, you know, he confuses a lot of people, James Bond, because he always asks for it shaken. <laughs> but if you have it, sh- if you ask for it shaken at the bar, you know, people are like, what yeah. are you talking about? Um, You're like, please don't do that. <laughs> yeah, so it's sort of a reflection of his character. And a Vesper is usually, if I'm remembering correctly, is it it's half ch- gin and half, uh, half vodka? It's not exactly half, but it's close. The fact that it has two, first of all, the fact that it has gin and vodka in it uh, is like a table tosser for me. So I actually, I actually made one of these for myself thinking, well, okay, why not try what is this Vesper martini? And I swear to God, it is a slugger. If you want to get drunk, <laughs> yeah, make yourself a Vesper martini. I mean, I have never had, I mean, I love martinis and gin is usually the way I go and stirred Me too. but Me too. dirty as well yes. the olives also you okay side segue now i'm sorry we're also sure. gonna flip over to the you had a cool um like gin marinated castle Botranos in there that oh, was yeah. also cool yeah we're always that, looking for ways to like put more gin in things um, of course so, yeah we did these gin <laughs> marinated castle Vetrano olives which are delicious um and super simple you know basically just buy a good jar of Castle Toronto olives or, or get them at a cheese shop and then you just marinate them in gin. You can add some lemon peel um, and it just makes this wonderful olive to use in a martini. The other thing I was going to add is I'm sure all your listeners love cornichon, um, you know, the little pickles that come in brine uh, so good with French cheeses and our go-to for a dirty martini is actually cornichon brine rather than olive brine. It just makes a killer dirty martini. I mean, we still use an olive, or you can use a lemon peel, but if you use cornichon brine rather than olive brine, it's even even more superb. Oh my God, you just blew my mind. And I hope now that every cheese counter is getting like an e-commerce email saying, will you ship your cornichon brine to me? Or I just heard Matt from Yeah, yeah, or save it, or save it for yourself after hours. Um, Absolutely, uh. it just changed uh, changed my life just now. Um, uh, to warm it up, because in the Northeast we're about to have a northeaster. I wanted to bring up also um, how you took on Blue Hawaii, uh, which has Elvis <laughs> yes. starring in it. Yes, and it also has a personal drink fave of mine, uh, which is the Mai Tai. So oh, I was really yes. stoked to see that um and and the orgeet recipe which uh, you should you should explain it because i i can't explain it as well as you will yeah there's um something called orja which is made typically with um with almonds like soaked almonds and then the peel of grapefruit it was used in a lot of classic cheeky cocktails so um in this movie this is i had actually never seen an elvis movie before we started working on this book and they were like oh we have to have a classic my time with a classic are they elvis very good movie. they're not they're not sorry to the elvis fans yeah. out there they're not really they're promotional tools for elvis oh, but they're they great are. promotional <laughs> tools for elvis <laughs> so and they're a great reason to put on like 
a Hawaiian shirt or like have a little bouffant hairdo action going on while you're on the couch and then, you know, making yourself a crazy drink. So yeah, we, we give you the recipe for making your own horm- homemade orjo, which is a fun thing to do during the port pandemic you know just calls for some orange flower water and some fruit peels and a few things like that and some almond almond milk um and it is this sort of creamy non-alcoholic substance that you then work into a cocktail and it adds this beautiful um marzipan like orange flower smelling dimension that's that, funny that's that you all love i want right now what's that that's all i, I love my ties i think they're <laughs> oh, fantastic yeah. i'm a fan of the tiki world i mean <laughs> I, I would love to be like in Smuggler's Cove all day oh, if I could. Right, or, you know. right. Yeah, they are like uh, we've did, our first book had a big tiki section in it, and it was my job to recipe te- test that section, and I was dreading it. But I turned out to love tiki drinks because often they are, uh, you know, there's layered rum combinations. So if you like like aged cheeses, then you will love a cocktail that has like say four different aged rums in it because it has all of this like nuance to it. And usually they have a lot of ingredients in tiki drinks, you know, fruit juices and bitters and heart spirits. But I think they're one of the hardest things to make. I think yeah. it's, it is absolutely yeah. one of the hardest things Fair to make a, a tiki drink because like you said, it is like five different styles of rum exactly. putting into a, zom- a zombie style drink yeah. or whatever it is um they're definitely for I, a party or it's like your drink of the season and you are making them you know once a week to use up all of the ingredients well actually oh this reminded me because we're almost at christmas time um <laughs> the eggnog situation mm. do you have a solution for alcoholic eggnog drinks because i've just been warming up really great eggnog and throwing rum in it but is there something else i should be doing I mean, other than like grating a little nutmeg on top, absolutely not. I mean, I like to get just a delicious, I mean, you can make your own eggnog. And I think our first book has a recipe for using fresh eggs, you know, the fresher, the better and real cream, things like that. Um, But I don't know, I'll be honest, I eat so much cheese. I don't have a lot of dairy in my glass. Um, So I'm not a big eggnog person, but you can use rum typically or whiskey or brandy. Um, you know, kind of add it to taste and then a little freshly grated nutmeg on top is glorious. And then you throw out, you know, some gingerbread cookies and you're golden. Wow, really? You just added the gingerbread? Okay. I love that. That's, that's See, you are already jolly and set up. Oh. You've watched all your Christmas Netflix films. You're obviously on the ball. Um, you know, per- personally, I would love like a little pan forte, but I don't have any of that downstairs. I have gingerbread, though. You got to get to a good bakery. I mean, exactly, this is what that's. Exactly. Or is or is Tria making it? You know, the restaurants that you work with are they making they anything are doing like a that? Hot drink, but yeah, I don't think it's an eggnog. No, no eggnogs right no now. Eggnog. For that's you know that's we leave that to to people to try on their own or or like me buy um, a high end like a nice version from like a dairy or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. I, I will, I will talk about one more pairing sure. and then, cause I just really like this book. You can see, I really went through a lot of the oh, movies so and I was like, I can't wait to try these things. Um, I also really thought that um, for Hitchcock's film uh, rope, which oh. I haven't seen and I'm dying to see oh, it now. Oh, so great. Um, you see, this is why I want to see it. Um, <laughs> they, you did a cool trick where you put a, a whole wheel of camembert inside of a round loaf of bread and called it camembert in a coffin. That's right. I completely uh, forgot we did that. And it's, yeah. <laughs> well, no, I'm here to remind you. And I just thought, well, I can't wait to do that because you also pour a shit ton of white wine onto it yes. and insert slices of garlic into it. Oh. And I just thought, yes. well, that is proper winter food. 
So that's my other thing I'm going to do very, very soon out of your book. Oh, please do. And the, and the drink with it is called An Art of Choke, which is a play off of the fact that it contains an Amaro called Chinar, and, which is made from artichokes. Um, so that is a delicious cocktail, you know, really nice digestive care. I know you like a digestive with your cheese. So it's just a really nice drink to have along with like a big boat or a coffin in this case of bread and cheese. That's a really, that's actually a really fun pairing and just a great film, you know, a terrific yeah. like Sunday matinee. Oh my God. So you've, you've, I already have my weekend planned for me. Do you see what you've done? <laughs> This is fantastic. It's this a hot cheese I, weekend coming right up. <laughs> totally. Exactly. Um, and so, okay, now I just want to open up. Where can the listeners buy this book or where can they find it online? Sure. Um, to, to, because I think it's awesome. Um, you can definitely get it from the Turner Classic Movies website because we did it in partnership with them. Otherwise, it's available on any um you know, online from any online bookseller or um, our distributor is Hachette. So you can find it on the Hachette website as well. Awesome. Tanaya, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show oh today. This was great. I had so much fun. <laughs> I, I did too. And Kara, I just want to say if you've never watched the movie Female, which is the world's first vodka movie, fantastic. It's one of my favorite films in the book. I do have that on my list as well. I made a note. I, there's so many notes. I was like, which ones can I get to on the show before people are like, Kara, stop talking about movies and cheese. I, I have that on there. And it's and the idea that it is a female executive, right? Is that the, yes. the pitch? It's a role something? reversal movie. It was made in the pre-code movie. So before there was censorship. And it, it's a woman who runs an automotive business. She picks men off the line, invites them to her house and seduces them on like Jaguar pillows with vodka drinks. Okay, so double feature with rope <laughs> this weekend at my house. It's great. I have it all solved. This is fantastic. Oh, man. All right, Tanaya. Well, thank you for coming thank on the show. Uh, listeners, you can find Madame Fromage at MME Fromage on Instagram. Uh, you can follow me at Kara Warren and uh, Heritage Radio Network. Also, you can follow us there. Have a great day, evening, wherever you are, and eat more cheese. Cutting the Curd is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. 